There we go. So let's turn the microphone on. So I grew up in the church. Actually, I literally started attending church when I was just uh, eight days old. Could you guys do me a favor and turn the lights on so I can see everybody out there? That'd be great. I started attending church when I was eight days old and pretty much went every single Sunday because my dad was the pastor, so that was the expectation. So uh, they would pack me up and my sister and my brother, and we went to church every single Sunday of our lives, uh, usually multiple times. But they would always, when I got to church and became a little kid and could walk on my own and go to my class on my own, they always would stop before I went to class and they would do something. They would give me my offering for the week. And maybe if you were a kid growing up in church, you can remember that where your parents gave you the offering and you could take it and, and uh, put it in like the little plastic church and uh, whatever the offering deal was for that class. And so every Sunday, until I reached fifth grade, I would go off and I would take my little coins and I would put them in the offering. Except when I became, uh, when I became 12, uh, fifth grade, I, that all changed. And, and what happened was, the summer of my fifth grade year, I got myself a job. My very first job, I was a gardener. I was hired actually by the church to go weed one of the, I wouldn't really call it a flower bed. It was more like a, a, a bush and shrub bed. But it extended like the whole front of the church. And our church was shaped a little bit like this, but a, a little bit wider. And so it was probably about 60 feet across, maybe about five or six feet deep. And it just had a bunch of shrubs and, and stuff in it, and it had a lot of weeds. And so they hired me to go get rid of the weeds. I have to confess, I wasn't overly industrious. It pretty much took me the whole summer. And by the time I got done, I pretty much needed to start over. But they were, I mean, but they were paying me a dollar an hour too, okay? And so I would get my dollar per hour, and some weeks I would, you know, make all the way up to like $5 because I was like really working hard that week. And uh, anyhow, I had my own income, so I would take my $5 and I would take my own 50 cents to church because I was taught that you're supposed to give 10%, you're supposed to tithe, and so I would take 50 cents, and it really didn't seem like that much to me because I wasn't, I didn't have a lot of expenses in my life. Uh, pretty much my parents covered the food, they covered the, uh, they covered the housing, I didn't have to pay any rent at that point, and you know, it, it was pretty simple, so I got my $5, I got my 50 cents, and off I went to church, and I could give, and I felt pretty good about that. And I was saving for a bike, and, you know, it took me probably two summers to save for a bike. I probably could have done it in a month if I'd worked hard. But that was about it. But because it wasn't that much, I was like, you know what, 50 cents, that's that much, and you, know, you always got to get changed, and if I got $5, I might as well just give a dollar. Because 20%, that sounds good. And, and so I, that became my thing. And, you know, I was like Mr. Generous. And as I grew up, I can remember even going through, like, middle school and high school. Even as I continued to work, I was like, I'll just give 20% because that's, like, super easy when you have no bills. I get it. And so that was my thing. But it became, uh, my parents taught me to give to God and to give um, was not necessarily a difficult decision for me because that's what my parents did. And, and that's what my parents lived. And my parents were generous with the church. My parents were also generous with other people, too. My dad had grown up in poverty in the Great Depression. I don't think he'd ever forgotten about that. And so anytime he saw somebody that had a, a need, he was always like, okay, what do we do? How can we help? How, what, what can we give to those people? And so I grew up seeing that all the time. But here's my confession. I don't find it particularly hard to give when it comes to the church. 
That's, that's simple. It's like I can just do that with the first thing out of the, the paycheck is I just, you know, that, that is all off to church. Where I find it's difficult sometimes is more to give to individuals because it's not really budgeted or it's not like something, you know, that's withdrawn every month or anything like that. It's just as it happens, like, oh, that person has a need or this uh, ministry may have a need or, or this is going on. And I find it a lot more difficult to give in those times because, in a sense, it's not part of the budget. But the question for all of us this morning is, how generous are you? And you could measure that, I suppose, in, in different ways, and if you put it on a scale of 1 to 10 or, or whatever you want to say. But how generous are you? How often do you give? How much do you give? And even a better question than that, why? Why do you give or do you find generosity to be a struggle? Because if you do, you have a lot of company, including a whole bunch of people that received a letter from Paul. That's what we're looking at here in the book of 2 Corinthians. So, so let me encourage you to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9. We're not going to go through the whole passage here today. It's just too long. But these were people who struggled with generosity. The church in Corinth, the Corinthian people, had a little bit of a struggle. But I want to ask this question before we go any further. Why do people struggle with generosity? And I said it that way because it sounded a whole lot nicer than why do we struggle with generosity, but that really is the question, right? Why do we struggle with generosity? And, and I was trying to identify just some reasons why we might struggle with generosity. Well, the obvious one to me would be greed. Like I can't give to somebody else because I want it all for myself. And there are greedy people in the world, but I doubt there's very many greedy people that are sitting in this room this morning. And I really don't think, actually, that most people that aren't generous, it's because of greed. And, and maybe it is, because that greed feeds their insecurity. And maybe that's a second reason why people aren't great about giving, is because of insecurity. And sometimes people use their financial condition, which is evidenced by all the things that they can purchase or gather or accumulate, that's a way to demonstrate to the world that they've arrived, that they're, they're making it happen, that, that they really have some, so, some moxie. And so that insecurity keeps them from being generous because they need what that money can do for them to actually build themselves up so they look better in society. Maybe. I think another reason, though, is this, insensitivity. And when I say insensitivity, it's not that you don't care, it's just that you're not, like, tuned in. And when we see needs in our world, well, actually, we don't see needs in our world because we're just kind of going through life, and there may be people on, on any side of us who need some help, but we're not even thinking that way. We're just insensitive to what's happening in their story. And I think that's probably a bigger reason. And I at least like that one because at least I don't feel meany about, you know, like I'm being mean. It's just like, oh, okay, I gotta, I gotta tune in a little bit more here. I think there's another reason here, and I think this may be one of the biggest, the last two I think are the biggest. One of the biggest is this, it's fear. I don't give more because I'm afraid that I won't have enough for myself. I've got just enough. I don't really have anything to spare. And if I, if I gave any more here, I'd be in trouble. And it's a fear issue that keeps me from doing that. Like, uh, I don't know. Because uh, I've got to take care of myself. I've got to take care of these bills. I've got to take care of whatever. And then I think there's a fifth reason here. And there could be more than this. I just wrote these down. 
But a fifth reason is procrastination. Like, I'm going to give, and I plan to give, and it's on my mind to give, and this is where I'm going to give. And for some reason, whatever it is, we never quite get around to it. And sometimes it's because we forget, and sometimes it's because we're still waiting to make sure that we have enough, maybe. And sometimes it's just because we don't have the need, we don't feel the urgency. Where the person who has the need, they feel that urgency, but we don't necessarily need that. Or we don't need to do that because we don't, we don't sense that. And I think that is what's going on. That fifth thing, procrastination, is going on in Corinth. So here's the backstory when we get to chapter 8 as we look at the book of Upside Down here. Paul is appealing to these Corinthians because they are not doing well with something. And what they weren't doing well with was fulfilling an obligation and a commitment that they had made to simply be generous. And where they were supposed to be generous was with the church back in Jerusalem. And that's where the church got started. But Jerusalem was about 800 miles removed from where Corinth was. But the people in, 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 in Jerusalem were going through hard times, and an appeal had gone out to all the churches worldwide, which is pretty much Asia Minor and Europe at that time. But an appeal had gone out to say, hey, is there anything that you can do to help these people back here in Jerusalem? Well, it came to Corinth, even though they were that far removed from Jerusalem, and they're like, well, yeah, we could do something. In fact, we need to do something. And yet they never actually did anything. And so Paul's writing to say, hey, you committed to this, but you never followed through on this. Now, there's different reasons there. For instance, like, I doubt that anybody in the Corinth church had ever met anybody in the Jerusalem church. And when you talk about 800 miles difference, you're talking about the difference between here and Atlanta. So, I mean, there was, there was a pretty good gap there. And the, and the people here were Gentiles for the most part. The people in Jerusalem were the Jews. And so there was a lot of different factors that are coming into play. But Paul is actually calling them out for not following through on this commitment to generosity. Now, let's take a look at what he had to say about generosity because there is a ton here. And we're going to read through this and pretty much just like stop after every verse. It's a little bit different. And say, what can we learn from this verse which is, teaches us something about generosity? Because there's so much um, information here that I think is helpful. And so we read in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse number 1. And now, brothers and sisters, Paul's talking to the Corinthians. We want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Well, what Paul is doing here is he's bringing in a third party. So we've got the Jerusalem church, and we've got the Corinthian church, and Paul is trying to get the Corinthian church to give to the Jerusalem church, and so he says, hey, by the way, have you heard about the Macedonian church? And so this is another church, and Paul goes on to describe how this Macedonian church has done such a great job in giving in hopes that it would be a stimulus to the Corinthian church to say, well, they can do it, we can do it too. That's the idea here. But notice what he says here. He says, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. And here's the first thing we learn about generosity. Generosity is a grace issue. Generosity is about grace. What is grace? And we talk about grace in a lot of different ways, but one of the definitions that we can use for grace is this. Grace is the ability, or excuse me, the desire and the ability to do what God wants us to do. 
So grace is what's, it's like the necessary energy for me spiritually. So God comes to me in grace and says, I'm going to give you the desire to do something here. And not only am I going to give you the desire, I'm going to give you the ability. So I'm going to give you the desire to be generous, and I'm going to give you the ability to be generous. And that's really, really, really good news, isn't it? Because there are days when I feel kind of stingy, and there are days when I feel kind of selfish, and there are days when it's like, you know what? I'm not sure I have enough, and I don't care if I really want to give it to anybody else or whatever. And, but God says, okay, but if I give you grace, I can give you that desire to give, to share, to be generous. And not only can I give you that desire, I can actually give you that ability. And so giving is actually grace. You don't have to do it on your own. And if it's like, okay, I just got to, you know, try harder, do better here, that's not what Paul's saying. You don't have to do it on your own. God can help you all the way from the desire to the delivery. But it's interesting to note then, too, that true generosity is actually a spiritual issue. And so as we look at generosity in our lives, all I'm doing is I'm responding to a spiritual nudge or a spiritual tap on the shoulder, but I can then be a part of what God's doing in the world. So think about that then. If grace is God giving me this desire and God giving me this ability, I am receiving something from God and I'm simply passing it on. So when we talk about grace be, or, or generosity being a grace thing, all it really is is me getting in the middle of this process where God gives and this person receives and it comes right through me. And that's what we mean when we talk about grace. Actually, grace and gift in the Greek language, which the, the New Testament is written in and is used here, come from the same root word. So when we give somebody something, we actually grace somebody something. And so we could talk about, I'll give you my time, I'll give you my attention, I'll give you my affection, I'll give you my assistance. We could say it just as accurately, I grace you this, I grace you this, I grace you this, I grace you this. Because that's the idea of what generosity is about. It's simply extending grace and it's extending the grace that we receive from God to other people. Secondly, we learn from that verse, though, that generosity is a communal issue. Generosity is about community. And what Paul actually does here is he appeals to the church. Now, that's to individuals in the church, but he doesn't call them out. He doesn't say, like, hey, Fred, or hey, you know, Louie, or whatever like that. He just says, hey, Corinthians. And by the way, he brings in the other church there, too. Whoops. So sorry. But he brings in the other church and says, hey, we all get into this together. And that's a really important point because we often think of generosity as personal. And it is. We'll get to that in a minute. But it's also something that we do together because it's an acknowledgement that we are all part of the same body. Now, have you noticed that when, my, when your stomach gets hungry, that your hand actually contributes to the food? But it's the same way in the church of God, locally, the church of God, even universally as we see the plate out here, is that when part of the church is hungry, another part of the church responds to that. And generosity then becomes a community issue because we're all so interconnected to each other, and we are. 
And so we need to be generous because we are a part of the body. And that's why he's using this Macedonian church as an example. Well, we keep reading here in verse number two. It says, in the midst of, very severe, of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. Now, this is like an equation. So the, the sum over here is generosity. And, and the, the two things that we're putting over here, what were they called? Add-ends? I forget. Are what? Poverty? That seems like a strange thing to have part of the equation. But then we also put joy. And somehow when you put joy and when you put poverty together, you end up with generosity. That makes a really, really important point that we're going to get to here in just a minute. But that, relled, that welled up in rich generosity, and he goes on in verse number three, for I testify that they gave as much as they were able. And then check out that next line. It even beyond their ability. And so generosity then is about sacrifice. It's not me just giving out of what I have left over, giving out of my surplus, giving out of my extra. It's about me realizing there's a need here, and even though it costs, I'm willing to take that cost because somebody else has a need. And when we are generous, it will cost us something. But I love this because what, how we get past that? We don't focus on the cost or the loss or what you're gonna, you know, what's going down in your, your account over here. You focus on the fact that this person has need. And this is how God wants us to do business in his economy. Not that we continually look at our resources and say, well, what can I do over here? But that we actually take a look at the need in the world and say, what do I need to do? And well, I'm going to use whatever I have and whatever I don't have. God, you're going to have to fill in the, the gaps. And that's what's going on here. They didn't even have enough to be giving. In fact, they should have been on the other side of it. The core of the church didn't need to send stuff all the way back to Jerusalem. They could have just sent it up the road to Macedonia because Macedonia needed it too. And yet Macedonia was on the other side of the, the equation there saying, what can we give? What is the need? How can we give it? And so entirely on their own, verse number three ends, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service for the Lord's people. And so we can add to this, generosity is about attitude. And you can go all the way back to where we're talking about joy to start with, but it's bigger than that. It's like when I am excited about what God's doing in my life, and when I see the needs that other people have, I get the opportunity, what's the word here? It says actually the privilege of giving. Do you ever think of generosity as a privilege? Well, the fact that you have to give means that you've enjoyed some privilege along the way. And so you can take that privilege and then you can share it and then you can pass it on. That is an attitude thing. The desire to give is an attitude thing. And if you keep reading on into chapter 9, let me read these verses for you. There's more to this attitude thing that Paul comes to. This is in chapter 9, verse number 5. Paul's writing, so I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to visit you in advance to finish the arrangements for the generous gift you had promised. Then it will be ready as a generous gift, not as one grudgingly given. 
Yeah, you can go down to the next verse. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. That's an attitude issue as well. Verse number 7, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And when we talk about generosity, it's about attitude. It's like, I have the ability, the opportunity, this situation has come up that I've been made aware of, that I can do something about, like, okay, I'm going to step into this, and I'm going to do something about it. So it, it, it kind of begs this question where we started, you know, would, would you rather get or would you, would you rather give? That's an attitude thing. When people are going through the world looking for everything they can get, we've got an attitude problem. When we go through the world looking for what we can give, what we can share, that's the attitude that God's looking for. And he says there, in verse, we go back to chapter 8, verse number 5, he says, They, the Macedonians, exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord and then the will of God also to us. And so we can say this then. The generosity is about faith, and generosity is about trust. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord, and then did what was necessary there. And so it's a faith issue or a trust issue where we say, okay, God, I'm going to give because this is what I need to do, not because this is what I have to give. And if I give this, God, well, then I'm going to have to trust you to provide for whatever lack that may cause in my own situation. But if God's already giving it to us in the first place, we need to remind ourselves of that. It should be easier enough for us to pass it on in the next place. And so this is a way that we can say, okay, God, I trust you to take care of my needs because I believe that you're going to use me to take care of somebody else's needs. And maybe down the road, who knows, you become the recipient on the other side of that. But this, also, this whole generosity thing sometimes encourages us to take spiritual risks. And sometimes we have to almost be like, I don't know about this, but okay. And God, that's what he's looking for, where we get to that place where we're like, okay, God, I'm going to trust you to supply all of my needs in this situation. Verse number six, Paul says, so we urge Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning, to bring about the completion of this act of grace on your part. What's going on here is Paul's writing to these people and saying, you need to get caught up here, but Paul's not in Corinth. So he's sending Titus to Corinth. To say, hey, you know, help these people get this gift business wrapped up and, and taken onto these uh, the people in Jerusalem. So that's what he's saying here. But notice what he said right there at the very end. He said, bring to completion this act of grace on your part. That phrase there, act of grace, is just one word in the Greek. And guess what word it is? It's grace. But grace is actually an action verb. And so generosity is about action, not about intention. And this is what Paul is really calling these people out is, you know what? I know you meant to do this, and he's not really calling them out for being selfish. He's just calling them out for not following through on their commitments. Remember earlier I talked about when you give somebody something, you grace somebody something. We generally think of grace in terms of a noun, but it's really meant to be a verb too. And so when I am generous, I am extending grace, and at the heart of grace, we know that, that we, grace is just a gift. There's no deservedness of it, and, and so it's not really a transaction. It's just an offer where I can extend or I can act in grace, 
And so it becomes an action issue, not something that we get to or that we intend to do. It's something that we actually do. Verse number seven, but since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, in the love we have kindled in you, see also that you excel in this grace of giving. And he's, he's being positive with them, saying, you guys have done great at growing and, and, and doing so much better in all these other areas. You still got one more you need some work on. And so he tells them, this is the area that you need to work on. And again, notice that word grace comes up again, verse number 7. But here's the next point. Generosity is a spiritual growth issue. Just like we have to grow in other issues of our faith, this is an issue where we should be growing as well. And I think this is one of those issues where, for a lot of us, we may wrestle with it, and then we're like, okay, God, this is what I'm going to do. And, and we decide, what we make that decision, and then we're very faithful to it, and we're very consistent with it. And it, as life goes on, we just kind of follow the same plan. But if you look at here, uh, Paul is saying, you know what, maybe you can get a little better here. And maybe they need to get better because they were bad, but maybe if you're doing okay, we have to sometimes look and say, okay, maybe as I'm looking at my faith here, this is a step I need to take that would help me grow in my faith a little bit. That's the idea there, because as we grow in faith, this should be part of it that comes with it. Generosity is becoming more like Jesus Christ, right? And so we should be growing like him. And so it's also, here's a funny thing about this too, it's, it's a... It's a part of spiritual growth, but I actually think it's a means to spiritual growth. So if we will dive into this and try this, that the reward of generosity is the fact that you are actually going to grow. In chapter 9, verse number 8, it says, God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. So we can get better at generosity, but as we get better at generosity, that's going to help us in other areas of our faith as well. Well, we go down here to verse number 8 then. I'm back in chapter 8. Paul says, I am not commanding you. That's interesting, isn't it? He says, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. And it reminds us of this, that generosity is about love. Now, if you go back to the Old Testament, the Old Testament Jews were commanded to tithe, and, and tithe means 10%. But as we look at the Old Testament, it looks like the Jews might have even been expected to give up to 20%. And that was just the expectation. But Paul says, hey, let's just talk about this from a different perspective. Let's talk about this from a love perspective. Not that you're required to do this. That's kind of the law. That's kind of the, the, uh, the old, you know, God is our judge mentality. How about if we look at this from our God is our father and Jesus is our sin? How about if we look at this from a different perspective here? Where God has loved us, and we can take that love, and we can give it back to him. And so generosity is actually a statement about how much you love God. He's done this much for me, so I will express this love maybe back to him. Or maybe I will express this love by sharing with others. And we get this. You know, we have Christmas, and our kids, we gather around the tree, and there's like gifts and presents everywhere. Because we want to give to the kids we love. And that's the same thing here when we talk about God, is generosity is just a way to express love. We buy birthday gifts for people we love. We buy, you know, we do things for our mates because we love them. And, and generosity and love are completely connected. It's a love issue, how much do you love God? But then it's also a love issue of how much do you love others? And what Paul's 
asking these people is like, okay, you committed to giving here. Was it just because I asked you? Or was it just because you got, you know, a guilt trip and a beat down here? Or did you commit to giving because you love God and because you love these people? Well, if love's your motivation, keep right on going there. And so generosity is about love. Now, verse number nine is like, kind of to me, like the central verse of this passage. For you know the grace, and that word comes up again, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, change of station even, so that you through his poverty might become rich. And Jesus was the ultimate example of love, an ultimate example of generosity, and demonstrates to us how those two things go together. Because as God, he gives up his God position in heaven, and he comes to earth as a man, and he becomes poor compared to what his position had been earlier, not his person, so that we could become rich. Well, we finish up here this morning here, it says, um, verse number 12, for the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable to what one has, not according to what one does not have. And the point here is that generosity is about the person. It's a personal issue. And each person has to sort this through. It's not necessarily that we all have to give the same thing. It's that we all are willing to sacrifice at the same level. And some people are able to give more, and some people are able to give less, and that's fine. And Paul's saying that's fine. You don't have to give his next, the next person. Just figure out what it is. And then he goes on here in verse number 13. says, our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard-pressed, but that there might be equality. That's interesting. At the present time, your plenty will supply what they need, so in turn, their plenty will supply what you need. If you give and end up with a need, guess what? Somebody else might just give back to you. But the goal is equality. As it is written, the one who gathered much did not have too much, and the one who gathered little did not have too little. But generosity is also about equality. And that sits a little funny with us, but if you go back to the early church, what did we see? One of the first things that we see in, in Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 4, is the people were like, okay, who has need? And like, if I need to go sell somebody something to take care of somebody else's need, we're going to do this so that we can all be on the same playing field. And this is the idea of generosity, too, is that where God blesses some of us with more, we can help out some of those who have less. And sometimes we say, well, it's their fault. You know, I have more because I've been more responsible with my money, or I have more because of this, or I have more because of this, or I have more because of this. And you may, and you may be completely right. But sometimes the people that have less, maybe it's not because they've made decisions. Maybe it's because of where they happen to be born or the family that they happen to be born in. Or maybe it's even the career path that they've chosen to take. It's some of the, the greatest contributors in our society are teachers. But you can make a living making a whole lot more money than a teacher can. But because they chose that path, they've already financially, the scales have tipped a little bit. And so Paul's idea here is like, hey, Look around, and where we can find equality, this is what he's saying. And he uses that word not once. He uses that multiple times there. But that is the idea of, of the church, is that we are trying to, to, to level it out so that everybody has what they need. 
And you can even take it a step further here, too, to say part of the equality that Paul's talking about here, too, is that everybody participates. And so that the burden doesn't just land on one person. So if somebody over here can give more and somebody over here can give less, that's fine. But let's make sure that we all participate in this. And so he goes through here, and, and I pulled out ten things, and there's a lot more. And if you keep reading in the, chapter, the end of chapter 8 and chapter 9, you can find more things about generosity. All of these things are about generosity, but if you notice, the one thing that generosity is not about, at least that we didn't read about here, is it's not about finances. And yet, this is a financial issue here. I mean, this is the context. They needed to take a physical, literal money offering so that they could send it to Jerusalem so the people in Jerusalem could buy what they need. And so it's talking about that in this context, but Paul never really says you need to give money. You need to give more money. He doesn't even mention it. Why? Because if we can line up those other things, those 10 things that we just talked about there, the money's not a big deal. When we, can, when we can get the trust issue figured out, when we can get the sacrifice issue figured out, when we can get the equality issue figured out, when we can get all of these different issues figured out, okay, no big deal. So what do we do with all this? Well, I think the first thing is we need to do a little self-examination and go back to that first question we talked about. It's like, just how generous are you? I think we're all a little generous, I hope. And I'm talking here not just like you give to the church. I'm talking about the fact that you have responsibility to the people who are your brothers and sisters. And even responsibility in the world to give. But to take some time to, to do a little self-examination say, how am I doing? And, and if you really want to figure that out, just say, okay, well, when's the last time that I? And bring that to mind. But then is to commit to some type of action. And you could commit to, you know, Giving in the, in the church, and that's not something you've done before, there's something to try. You can commit to giving to other needs in our community or into the world in general. You can commit to, to or like next Sunday, you know, we always encourage people with communion to give to the fellowship fund, which is used to help people in our church body who have financial needs. And we're expecting that with inflation, what it is right now, that people are going to have financial needs. And if you have a need, speak up, because this is what generosity does we meet needs and needs get met in this church that way and i love that but we can also talk about things outside of our church you know we've we've put this mission eurasia up there which is helping to provide relief for refugees coming out of, of ukraine that's a way that you can be generous you could talk about like something like compassion and maybe some of you even support children through compassion where uh just you become a sponsor of some child in the world to make sure they get medical care and, and educational care and spiritual care. There are all kinds of different ways out there. Maybe you just know somebody, even in your world, who's struggling right now, and you can reach out there. But you can do something because it's the act of giving. It's the grace of giving. So the secret to being more generous is to simply be more generous. I guess that seems obvious. And yet, I would just challenge each of us in our lives, as we look at this book of Upside Down, and we just hit this chapter as we've gone through 2 Corinthians here, but as we hit this chapter, to look at this and say, okay, which way are my hands? Maybe like this, maybe they're kind of like this, maybe kind of like this, but we, can we get them 
to where they are like this. That's the goal. We want to turn things upside down. Let's pray. So, dear Jesus, we pray this morning in your name because you are the ultimate example of generosity. You gave yourself. God, Jesus, I pray that you would challenge us to give ourselves to you in an act of faith and an act of trust that you will take care of us, that you will meet our needs. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. It's just a time for reflection here this morning because if we just listen and nothing ever changes, it doesn't really do us any good. We need to take steps in our faith. So the question is, what is the step that you need to take this morning? Maybe your step is just simply to put your ultimate faith and trust in Jesus Christ, to give him your life, to confess your sins to him, ask him to forgive you, ask him to come into your life, to give you an eternity with him. If you've never taken that step, you can do that this morning and invite him in. If you are a Jesus follower already, what is Jesus calling you to this morning? Where do you need to be more generous? And we've talked about financial, but there are other ways to be generous for sure. You can be generous with time. You can be generous with your other resources. You can be generous with your knowledge. You can be generous with so many different things. But how will you? Will you pick something right now, an action step that you will take? And will you make that commitment? So Jesus, we believe that this is a grace. We can't do it without you. So give us this desire to care so deeply about those around us that we want to meet their needs. And then give us that ability, that power, that courage, that determination, that intentionality to take steps and to make it happen. And we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So for our story Lines prompt this week, if you're still following along in your journal. Reflect on a time where you were the recipient of generosity. What was that experience like? And we've all been there. Go back there and appreciate that. Or reflect on a time when you were the giver. What was that experience like? Would you stand with me this morning? There's this weird verse in Acts where Paul quotes Jesus. And he says, as Jesus said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And it's such a weird verse because we can't find record of Jesus having said that. Except Paul quotes him as saying that. But go out with those words in your mind. It is more blessed to give than to receive. God bless you. Have a great day.